The following is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic Whittier events and gatherings, please visit mosaicwhittier.org. Okay, good morning. All right, welcome. Let's go ahead and get into the scriptures. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. And... um, I want to say that this, this talk is dedicated to all the younger brothers this morning, and I say that with all seriousness. If you are, younger, if you are a younger brother, uh, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, this is dedicated to you. There was a tax. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, muttered, they were muttering, They were mutterers. (laughs) What a mutter. And um, they said, this man, this man, speaking of Jesus, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told him this story or parable. Jesus continued, there was a man. I want you to note this. There was a man that had two sons. The younger one said to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got uh, got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of that country. And this man sent him to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. So when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, I have violated violated an objective moral code. I know I blew it. But not only did I blew it it generally, you're, you're, you're specifically the person that I blew it against. And so I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He had his plan how to make it right. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, (laughs) the older son was not having it. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. It was electronica house going. <laughs> Someone's out there wearing his robe. 
So he asked one of the helpers, the servants, and said, hey, what the heck is going on? Why is there a party? Your brother's home. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the older brother was so glad to hear his brother was safe. Awesome, I'm glad he's back. He refused to go in. Refused. And so his father went out, pleaded with him. So he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, you, and I've never disobeyed any of your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who has squandered his money with whores, comes home and you kill a calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead. He's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. I don't know how many of us have ever heard this story that you have this warm gauzy feeling you know it's all about the younger brother the younger brother the prodigal son can we put up slide one for definition um prodigal doesn't mean bad it doesn't mean wayward it doesn't mean naughty it just means somebody who spends recklessly extravagantly who someone who spends over and above what's necessary and so if you thought of the prodigal son as the, the bad kid, you know, if you, this, this story has become so part of our culture that when someone sort of comes back, they're referred to, oh, the prodigal son has returned. And it's completely misapplied because prodigal simply means someone who spends almost to the point of being wasteful, extravagantly on a lavish scale. So in this case, this is, really, this is really inappropriately named story of Jesus. It's just as inappropriate as when some of you know, um, quote, the Lord's Prayer. If you were raised Roman Catholic, you were taught to pray the Our Father, which is kind of like an E.E. E. Cummings poem, given the title of the first line of the poem. I realize there's probably only two or three of you that get that who are into poetry. So, so all three of us got, <laughs> I got that. Um, and the, the Lord's Prayer was not the Lord's Prayer. His followers asked, uh, asked him, hey, we see that when you pray, things begin to happen in a different way. Like, your prayer life is different. It's not just a matter of, of quantity. There seems to be a quality, a connection to God, which is the purpose of prayer. Because I'm telling you that from all the friends that I've met and the different friends of different religions, as far as followers of Jesus, we don't have prayer down at all we have mistakenly sometimes thought of it as talking a lot as opposed to actually just connecting to God who loves you. And so that prayer became misnamed the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus was trying to tell, this is, this is the things, this is the mentality, this is the attitude when you pray. It's the disciples' prayer. If you want to know where the Lord's Prayer is, go to my favorite book in the Bible, John 
uh, chapter 13 through 16, 17, where Jesus not only prays for the situations happening there and for those men, but he prays for you and I. But this is one of those moments as well where um, it's just been misunderstood and misnamed. If there's a prodigal in this story, look at this definition. Who's the prodigal in this story? It's not not the younger brother. It's certainly not the older brother. If there's a prodigal in this story, it's the father who's the prodigal. This would be better named the prodigal God or the prodigal father. And I also want to tell you a little bit about, you know, when we kind of get into this, I'm going to break this into two parts. This morning is for the younger brothers. Um, if you put up slide two, I want to remind you about who's there when Jesus is talking. If you go to Luke 15, you'll see that, that first of all, the tax collectors and, the, and sinners were a certain group of people. They were the folks that were not invited to church. There were the folks that, that would go any place else but church. And so if you're here this morning, for example, and you're thinking, dang it, why did I come here? If you stumbled, if, if you were rolling in thinking there was still a party going on, and you, oh, it's church. Uh, uh, <laughs> welcome. We're, we're, we're glad that you're here. But if you feel like I don't want to be a church, church is weird, church is goofy, church is uh, harmful, uh, churches, you know, it may start off well, but then it gets goofy and weird. This is for you. Because those people, and, and I, I hope you get this for all of us here this morning, not just folks who feel outside, even if they're here, but those of us who feel like we're here, understand that the people Jesus attracted are the people we wouldn't invite to church. And the people that are get invited to church or are attracted to church are generally already churchy. So whether it's a political, a racial, or a sexual outcast, those are the people that were attracted to Jesus. And those are the very people that, if you go to... Um, Amber, would you go to slide... Um, uh, no, let's not go there yet. But they were the ones on their own, that found something very attractive about Jesus. And that's who this story, that's who's around, who is around those, that, that. <laughs> you see what I did there? I didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, it's hard to believe I do this for a living. Those are the people that were attracted to Jesus who were standing with Jesus along with Pharisees and teachers of the law. So you have two groups of people. In your head, uh, you know, you, you know, think of whatever reality TV show or crime drama or street you know of where people would be racial, political, or sexual outcasts. Okay, you got that in your head? What those people look like? The men, the women? All right? Now think of... <laughs> I'm going to go to this metaphor. Think of Orange County church people. <laughs> I don't know why they do that, but... <laughs> and I'm not dumping all over Orange County much. But, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, the metaphor works. So now mix them together. And that's who is in the group listening to Jesus talk. So, you know, the people who are wearing plaid and shop at J. Crew, right, all that, and people who are still shopping at Hot Topic or wherever else, we got together. 
and they're listening to Jesus. And Jesus gives story after story of what it's like, of what the kingdom of God is like. This is the one where about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and how there's always a celebration when the person looking for the thing that they've lost is found. But this story, this story would have been so insulting to people listening to it. We, we've just, it's just been sanitized to the point where it's no longer shocking. Let's go to slide four, for example. Um, you don't have the slide, but this is for Amber. Um, I don't, what, what do you picture the younger brother looking like? Have you seen, have you seen the Rembrandt painting of, the, of, the, of the, the prodigal son when he comes home? I mean, he is tore up in the painting. I don't know, do you picture kind of a snotty, arrogant little punk, you know? You're going to get a fragasso is what you're going to get. And then angry at his father. You know, I want you to understand that what he's saying to his dad is, it's, it's, it's shocking. Think of this for just a moment. Telling your dad, I can't wait for you to die. In fact, I can't wait for you to die, so give me my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. That's, that is exactly what he's saying when he says, give me my money now. I'm no longer satisfied living in the comfort of your home. I don't want, I, I, it's not enough that I get to eat off your dime, sleep in your house, be taken care of by your servants, enjoying the benefits of being connected to you by name, I want mine. And what would have happened, as a, because there's a younger brother, whatever land that father owned, the oldest would get two-thirds, the youngest would get one-third, and they would live their lives side by side. But that land would stay in the family. It's, for us who are, if, because we are urban, many of us have never been on a farm. I've heard of farms. We don't understand the tie that land has to people as it had in that culture. So maybe he's a punk, just that outcast, kind of different, dresses black, wears a hoodie. Or maybe he's this guy. He's the, the, the dandy, the, the well-dressed kid, the, the guy that sleeps with different women or sleeps with different men. Who knows? He's just out there. And he demands... See, what's funny about this to a degree is that he's demanding freedom, which is actually his uh, enslavement. It, there's, there's an itch that he wants scratched, and he thinks, if I scratch that itch, I will finally be relieved of it. And uh, everything that he's choosing, which he believes will set him free and, and will, um, will be his life. You, you know what's funny? is that he's pulling away from the father who loves him. Because in his head, you don't love me, and I can't be free, so I got to go. And he's also saying, you know, you're, you, you are dead to me. I have, there's nothing about you that I want except my money. And for the teachers of the law and the tax collectors, the father is not a good guy in this story, by the way. They would have thought he was an idiot. They would have been so in, um, disappointed. Not only, there, there's nobody in this story that's a good person. For us in the West, we hear, oh, the younger brother. 
God's love for people. And that's how they heard it. They heard everything about this was the father was, was embarrassing to himself. The younger son was a, was a shameful, just a piece of work. And the older brother was not much better. So th- there's, there's two ways. There's two ways you can go ahead and move off that now. There's two ways to, to view the younger brothers and, and the two types that they represent. You know, the, the younger brother is the guy that, well, the younger brother, jeez, oh, how can I say this? English. Both brothers are disconnected from their father, and both brothers represent the two different types of people, you might say, are kind of around. There's the, tell me if this isn't true for your family. There's, there's usually the good person, and the good child in the family. It, it could be a male, it could be female, but it's usually the one, and sometimes the eldest, who, who doesn't, lives close to mom and dad, like next door or a walking distance, and uh, they, take a, they take a conventional job. They work at the post office, work for the phone company. Um, you know, they, they have a steady job. They, they, they're not freelancers. They have a job with benefits. And they check in with their mom and dad. They're close. They, they mow their lawn. They, they're just good people. Salt of the earth. Steady. Solid. They go to church. Then there's the younger brother types. They've always been in trouble. They got their first tat at six and never stopped getting inked. And it was a prison tat. That's the thing that would mix it. Three dots. Oh, yeah, I went there. Okay, I just said it. You were thinking it. They don't follow the rules. And even, you know what, even as soon as I said that, some of you are thinking, yeah, the hell with the rules. Why would you follow the rules? You're a younger brother. You, um, you throw off the traditional religious upbringing that your parents gave you. you. You move away as soon as you can. You do exactly what they won't want you to do. And as soon as you find out that something that they don't want you to do, you want to go try it. Like, you know, you shouldn't smoke when you're really, really, you know. And, and again, you're only seven, so you're, you're, you're a bit of a rebel. You wear black. In fact, the only color in your closet scheme is black. And as soon as you can, you move to a cool, hip little neighborhood um, outside of L.A., maybe Echo Park or El Sereno, someplace where, because you can't afford to live in Silver Lake yet. And certainly Los Feliz is a dream. But you move to Echo Park or some little, get a little shabby little apartment. You know, you find your little coffee shop. You take your laptop there, and you're working on your next script. You're the younger brother. And you, you're going to, even if, you, and even if you don't physically move away, you leave home morally, relationally, emotionally from what's expected of you. You're a younger brother. Okay, now, about, this is not a dialogue, but do you have people like that in your family? And by the way, which one are you? Are you the younger brother? Are you the older brother? Now, I'll tell you, in my family, I was the younger brother. I was that guy that always challenged and got in trouble and threw off the shackles of my religious upbringing and explored other opportunities and had a fairly flexible moral code, you know. And, uh, and whenever something said, when, uh, the, the worst thing you could tell me, it was if it was so predictable and it's embarrassing it's still part of me 
with me still. If you say no to me, or no, you shouldn't. I always think, don't shoot on me, man. I have to do it. It's, I remember to this day, my mom said, you know, we moved into this big house when we were younger, and, um, and there was a patio roof thing. And, you know, like you're, you're a mom, so you tell your kids, what do you tell your sons not to do about the roof? Don't go where? Don't go on the roof, right? I, w- I don't know. I was maybe nine. I dragged my bike up there. <laughs> I'm not lying. I rode my bike around the roof. And then I said, and I realized, oh, okay, that didn't, okay, you know, the heavens didn't, you know, break open and, and strike me with light, and nothing happened. And then I set up, <laughs> this, never leave your child alone, okay? <laughs> I set up cardboard boxes because of some stupid movie to crash through those boxes on my bike off the roof. And then I thought, oh, I can release the bike, and, you know, yeah, I, I would do that. So when someone says, yeah, I, I didn't play sports, why? Because I was already doing, you know, X games at home by myself. <laughs> I remember getting a knife, trying to see how far I could push it in before it would puncture, clicking off a gun, even though it was empty, just like, but putting it at my face. I was that kid. Oh, wait, that was yesterday. <laughs> and the elder brother is the straight arrow. That was my sister. And my younger brother was an was a elder brother. They were all just trying to do the right thing all the time. To this day, um, my sister lives just two houses over from my, from my mom, still, close, very tight. But notice, it's the younger brothers that are attracted to Jesus. And that so pissed off those Pharisees and, 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 and teachers of the law. You know what they thought? Tell me, tell me if you haven't said this. Well, if that's where you go, speaking to the younger brothers, if that's the church you go to, then that church doesn't teach the word of God. Did you guys ever hear that come in here? Oh, you go to Mosaic? Oh, I guess you like that dancing church. <laughs> you want to go to that place where they just paint and blah, 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 that's their service. Yeah, that's what we do. That's all that we do. We're doing it even now. Right? Some of you have caught that. That's not a Baptist church. <laughs> the joke's on them. It is a Baptist. We are a Baptist church. <laughs> Southern Baptist. Um, so, yeah, if you didn't know this, you walked into a Southern Baptist church this morning. I'll, leave, I'll give you time to pause right now to leave if you want to. <laughs> like, what the hell? You know, and so, <laughs> Yeah, you're in a Baptist church. And so what, what happens, and I've, I've had folks say this, I've had folks say this to me. Well, if those people are your friends, you're probably not te- telling them about Jesus. Okay. Just because you have low relational social skills, I apparently am not telling them about Jesus. Just because I don't mention God, Lamb, Blood, Bible, King James, and every other word in my sentences, obviously I don't care about their souls. Obviously I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be a follower of Jesus with these people. You're right. That's, uh, you're right. You caught me. All I have to offer is just what's in the world. And so if people don't want that from me, then they, no, you're just, you know, look, you haven't earned the right to be their friend. And I know well-meaning men and women believe that what's necessary is to give people, now, don't misquote me on this. I know what well-meaning men and women who are followers of Jesus think that what they need to give their friends 
who are damaged or perhaps not healthy is to give them Bible. Okay. If you remember the parable of the seed and the soil, the seed represents what? Word, scripture, the word of the Lord. The soil represents what? Soil, the person's character, their heart. I am convinced that it requires, for many people, less speaking about the Bible and more living out the scriptures. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a time to tell people the truth, but they kind of want to see it first. And they don't give a rip about what you think, and I know they don't care what God thinks unless they think you like them and they think God likes them. And so if they don't get the impression that God likes them, whose fault is that? It's mine, and it's yours. If there are not more younger brother types coming to this, to this particular local church, it's not because they're awful, mean people who prefer darkness. That wasn't the case when Jesus was around. It's because somehow we are not sharing, living, thinking, acting the way that Jesus did that attracts people who feel like outcasts. And for some reason, we're only attracting people who are maybe more like us than we want to think. So who is this story for? What do you think it's for? It's for the older, it's for the elder brother types. It's not for the younger brother. It's not for assurance that God loves you. It, I mean, yes, God loves people. Yes, Jesus loves people. But that's not what this story is for because the people that it's aimed at are Pharisees and uh, teachers of the law. Now, <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, yeah, thank goodness I'm not like one of those people. Because whenever we hear a story about Jesus that involves his followers and the Pharisees, we, we always think, it's safe, yeah, okay. This is safe, I stand up on it. Yeah. Um, we always think, yeah, we're, we're with the disciples. Yeah, tell them, Jesus, yeah, we're, you know. We never think we're on this side with the Pharisees. But I, I want you, hopefully, to read this a little fresher and think, am I over here? Have I gotten to the place, have you gotten to the place where you're not comfortable on people unless they're like you? Uh, I was talking to a friend the other night and, he just mentioned, you know, I, jeez, I, I don't even tell you where he's at, because he goes, man, why did you tell him the truth about the Bible? You know what? It's, it's much easier to be around people that are like you than people who are not like you. Is that fair to say? Now, I'm not saying about people who are, you know, good. I'm talking about anybody. You, you know, um, I, I would not, let's say, there, there are some types of, tribes that I just don't connect with immediately, it would, it would require effort. Like, I don't get, I don't get, um, what's the thing that people do go around the circles? Um, the race car thing? What is that? NASCAR. NASCAR. Right, I don't get NASCAR. I don't get it. I'm sure there's something interesting about it, but I don't get it. So if I was around a lot, a lot of guys with NASCAR stuff, the hats and women with the big hair and the trailers and all that kind of... <laughs> so what goes on here? We go around circles? Wow, wow. So for four hours... Yeah, but there's a skill involved. 
like this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure it's interesting. I just don't, I've never had anyone explain it to me. What I'm saying to you is that whether it's any kind of relational stuff, any kind of, of habits or, or church, it's always harder to be around people who don't agree with you or maybe are not like you. Yes? Okay. And so this, this, this whole story, this whole parable, wasn't meant to do anything other than hopefully change the attitude of the older brother types. And maybe... Jesus is saying, I'm not really for you, younger brother. But I'm not really for you either, older brother, because both of you are just as distant from your father as the other. And both of you think, look at each other and think, oh, you're awful. No, you're awful. Blah, blah, blah. Because that's how conversations go when you're arguing, blah, blah, blah. Right? Listen, we, we can also fall into that trap of thinking somehow because, you know, we do what we do here, that we're a cooler church than, well, we are. But we, we are, <laughs> that, you know, somehow we're the only game in town. There's other churches that are doing the, the, doing the Lord's work. They're just different, right? What I don't get, and I'll say this publicly, I don't get churches that separate by, by race. I don't get that. Not at all. The only Hispanic church where if you walked in and you're white, you know you don't fit in. There's something wrong with that. We have a Japanese church uh, in Whittier. There's 30 people there. Again, I don't get that. What happened to the family of God around the world? Um, however, even though Jesus is saying both groups are just as uh, harmful and destructive... Well, both of them are just as disconnected. He is saying something about the elder brother group. The, the, the danger here is that you think you're high-functioning. I mean, after all, you take care of your family. You take care of your mom and dad. You, hold, you have a steady job. You give money regularly. You support causes. Hell, you even adopted a child through Compassion International. You got their photo on your refrigerator. You are an amazing human being. You do everything right. You go to church. You pray consistently. You attend church regularly. You hang a flag on the 4th of July. You carve a cross on the pumpkins for Halloween. Let people know that you're not celebrating that holiday. <laughs> That's right. Jesus, man. You have a, an N-O-W-T bumper sticker in your car. On your fancy beautiful American car, because you're not of this world. Um, yeah, tell me you'll catch the irony of that later. And so you, as the gatekeeper and the holder of all truth and what's right, and the judge of how everybody else should live, look down on all the younger brother types. And the younger brother types look at this and say, that is stifling, suffocating. If that's what God is about, I'm out. Now let me suggest this. I'm going to make this a suggestion, and, and please take this as a filter for the rest of the week, and then next Sunday, we'll dedicate the talk to the older brother. Is it possible that the son, daughter, spouse, neighbor, whoever, that won't come to church because they're awful, is not really that they're awful, but that you've driven them away? 
Did you finally scold your son to the point where he wants nothing to do with you and Jesus? Did you tell your daughter when she was such a tramp, the way she dressed, that she thought, if that's my father, is that my father in heaven? What did you do? See, I, I, I can't get to a place, and I, I, by the way, it's not because I'm this amazing person, but having been a younger brother, I find myself, I realize the danger is to become an older brother. And so when I see Jesus and what he does, what he does is attract younger brothers. So you tell me. And if you're a younger brother and you're like trying to dip your toe back into the pool of Christianity and you're thinking, oh man, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I have to, I feel like I have to let go of who I am to hang on to God. And I've been told that I have to, you know, I, listen, I get it. I, I get it. I know it's so freaking confusing. I simply want to tell you, if you're a younger brother type, that look, whoever, whoever was, it was at a, in a, that identified with Jesus and made you feel like you couldn't, connect to Jesus because of you, how you did what you did, I'm sorry. That was wrong. It's because we still have younger brother and older brother types. The younger brother who is the free spirit, the rebel who challenges and questions. And per Listen, this is, I'll tell you if you have a younger brother in your family, and I, to a degree you, you might be responsible for this. The younger brother prefers and wants the respect and admiration of their peers than you. You ever been that adult parent or maybe your uncle? Like, why, do they, why are these friends so important to you? You know why? Because they get accepted there and not with you. The older brother is just as lost to the father as a younger brother, but this is more insidious. It's, it's more sickening and it's more dangerous because, it's, because this person refuses to think that they're sick. What are you talking about? How can I, I do, you know? And this is why it's so stupid to try to tell people about Jesus by, you know, we have the, 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 the let me make you feel bad so I can tell you the good news approach to evangelism, right? You know, you're an awful person. Don't worry, Jesus loves you. Confusing. Because <laughs> what do you do with the people who are really put together who don't go to church? When it comes to a religious person and a political outcast, Luke 19, the political outcast was drawn to Jesus, not the religious person. When it comes to a religious person and a racial outcast, John 3 and 4, the racial outcast is drawn to Jesus, but not the religious person. When it comes to the sexual outcast and a religious person, Luke 7, the sexual outcast comes to Jesus, but not the religious person. Over and over. And um, see, this is, my, this is my concern and worry for us as a community. That, that, we, that we're starting to get older brotherish, maybe. That maybe because things are going well, you're starting to function, you know? You got a job. You got your license back. <laughs> P.O. 
finally signed off on your last visit? <laughs> the, the two of you that are laughing, like, yeah, I remember that day. <laughs> I went out and got wasted to celebrate. <laughs> See, the, the, I mean, the classic story is, is John, when I think about this, the, you know, Nicodemus, religious, has questions, wants to know what's up with Jesus, and then really doesn't follow publicly, says nothing, and it's all done at night. And then you have a woman who, and by the way, you know, you read only five partners? That's not a big deal. But, I mean, it was shocking maybe at that time. And, and she goes public with her attraction about, to Jesus. It's all the time. The, the, the Phoenician woman on the West Coast who would have been the racial, another racial outcast, the, uh, the Italian oppressor, a leader of a nation that's oppressing Israel. Dude, I get you because I, I have to submit to authority, so I understand that you, know, you have authority. He's attracted to Jesus. You know, we, we get this notion that Jesus might have had this huge following, tops 120 after two and a half, three years. Tops. But over and over again, people who were not part of Israel, people who were, even the people who were Israeli, who were not invited into the synagogue, were attracted to Jesus, though. The Father. Let's go to slide eight. I'm going to wrap this up in a few minutes here. So I, I don't know what you think about the Father. You know, he's a great guy. He's a good guy. But um, first of all, uh, in that culture, because it was highly patriarchal, that father had every right to beat his younger son for making that request. And the fact that he didn't would have shocked the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And by the way... Uh, the, the teachers of the law, rather, and then the tax collectors and sinners would have been, wow, he, the younger brother still lived? <laughs> he would have been outcast. This man takes that land and he actually pulls it out of the family and sells it to another family. And you know what the word for land is in, that, in the scripture there? It's not tierra, because uh, it wasn't written in Spanish originally. Um, it's, it's bios in Greek, which means life. To give you an idea of the connection of the clan to the land. That he took part of his own life to give it to his son. And see, this feels like the CEO who leaves his job to take care of a disabled child. Or the, uh, the attractive, promising actress who leaves the world of film to take care of her family. And some of you are thinking, that's stupid, aren't you? Because you could pay someone to do that. Why would you give that up? Um, and so, I, I, you know what would have been normal? Not only would it have been normal and accepted for the father to reject and, and, and be angry with his son, but he gives him what he wants. And... You guys know how painful it is to have your love rejected, right? You know that. I recall even as a young kid when people would talk about their exes, and it always seemed odd to me that they were so angry. I'm thinking, 
well, you were the idiot that chose them. Why would you? you kind of, it's kind of a referendum on you, not them. But how do we process it now? When you feel someone has rejected you, what do you do now? Okay, I'll tell you what I do. I vilify the person. I have to find a way to make it hurt less. Does that resonate with anybody? Here's another way. You inflate your virtues and their fault. Okay, someone agrees. <laughs> you retaliate. And you do that to diminish the affection you have for them. So it won't hurt so much. But he loves them. And that father gives a piece of his life to his son who says, I want nothing to do with you. I want, I want that money. And then goes off. And then finally, as we come to a close, <laughs> it all goes south for the younger brother. What a surprise. So surprising. And he develops a plan. He says, I, because of the culture at the time, for him to have done that, he was, he was literally, as the father said, he was once dead. Now he's alive. The community, he was dead to the community. He was dead to his father. And the law at that time, unlike our laws now, our laws now are, are punitive, not restorative or restitution. So uh, Middle Eastern law would have been restorative and restitution. I got to get a job. So let me work for you. I, I know that I don't have a right to be called your son. So let me work for you to pay off this debt. And then you know the father's reaction. The father apparently was looking. By putting on the robe, he says, you're back in the family. By putting the ring on, he says, you're also inherit again. He doesn't give the son a chance to explain the plan. Like many of you as younger brothers have tried to figure out how do I make this right with God? And you know what's worse? Sometimes as older brother types, we look at the, the attempt at faith from our younger brothers and we ridicule it. They're writing poetry, searching. They're doing a painting or a drawing. There's a piece of music that speaks to them. They're trying to reach out. And we think, no, you need a Bible. Blah, 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 blah. And we smash that. Rather than trying to help them interpret their work. To all you younger brothers... You're welcome here. And to all the younger brothers that you know, they're welcome here. Father, thank you for being good. And as we kind of process this stuff this morning, maybe the real meaning of what's happening in this story, here's what I pray. Help us see ourselves in the story, whether we are the younger brother, the older brother, and who the Father is, and how He loves, and how He cares, so that we may be those people instead. 
Help us to be men and women in this church who extend the message and the, even the method of Jesus. Help us to be ones that we hear your check whenever we think someone else is not going to get it because they're so damaged or so whatever. Help us to be those who are quicker to try to listen and understand the meaning behind the words, the music, the life that younger brothers live. To help them understand that they're looking for Christ and are desperately seeking life. Help us be your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Mosaic Whittier. For more information on getting connected with the Mosaic Whittier community, please visit mosaicwhittier.org.